This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now last July, the House of Representatives in the United States, which is controlled by the Democrats announced the formation of a committee which would investigate what happened in what is now widely agreed was an insurrection on January the 6th, 2021. It was the day when Joe Biden's victory was to be certified and it was the day that a mob thought at the time to be almost a spontaneous mob urged on by Donald Trump attacked the Capitol and chanted that Mike Pence, the vice president, should be hung. Pence, constitutionally, is the person who oversees the certification and the implementation of the will of the people of the United States, which was that Joe Biden, through the Electoral College, was the new president of the United States. And for 12 months, it's ambled on without really convincing anyone or changing minds. However, in the last fortnight, they have held televised hearings, which are a mixture of video footage of testimony given to them by, for example, the president's daughter and others who agreed to testify. A mixture of that and live testimony from people who were involved at the time and were very often pressurized. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich, associate editor of The Hill, a very good nonpartisan newspaper in Washington. Niall is associate editor and White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, my attempt there to characterize this committee and its work is basically my take on it. How accurate is it? I mean, I think that is broadly accurate. I think that the the question has always been twofold. One is whether it can change people's minds, which a lot of people have been skeptical about. But the second thing is whether it can uncover new and telling information, which I think it has been much more effective uh, in that regard. It has really presented a very compelling case uh, against former President Trump and his allies, and I think has really underlined, through those who have watched it, that 
how much of this whole effort was both organized and a knowing fraud? In other words, there has been enormous information provided about people telling, emphasizing, and proving to Trump that his claims of election fraud on a wide scale were simply not true, and him and other people like Rudy Giuliani going ahead with their plans and efforts regardless. Yes, and we have evidence now that Trump repeatedly told those involved with him in this endeavor, and in particular Mike Pence, who he met repeatedly and urged him not to certify the Electoral College votes. He said to Pence and to others, all we have Pence has to do is reject them, the Electoral College, get the votes sent back to the states on the technicality and leave the rest, and I'm quoting him here, leave the rest to me and our congressional friends. And the other mantra was, We've got to get to the courts. So he was trying to cause chaos, confusion, stop the process on January the 6th of certification, and then leave the rest to Republican congressmen and women, and, of course, to the courts. And that is rather ominous in a big way, because we know the Supreme Court One of his greatest achievements, if not his greatest achievement, is to get three of his nominees onto the Supreme Court, where now what we might call conservatives have a 6-3 majority. Yes, I mean, certainly to to put all this in in context, had Trump's plan uh, proceeded, there is no real way that a constitutional crisis could have been averted. For people who haven't been following this step by step or haven't been listening listening to us as we have recounted all this, the plan really was that what is actually provided for in law is the vice president goes to Congress and counts the electoral votes as they come in from the states. What Trump wanted Pence to do was refuse to count those votes to move that process back to perhaps Republican-led legislatures who would then appoint their own slate of electors to overturn the popular vote. I don't... I mean, it it is almost unimaginable what would have happened had that proceeded. I mean, it would have, I assume, led to riots in the streets beyond what happened on on January the 6th. Um, Now, Pence, to his credit, did not do that, and he refused to do that at some significant physical danger to himself. Um, As for the court's element of this, there was a very controversial conservative lawyer by the name of John Eastman, who was proposing all sorts of labyrinthine uh, plots and uh, hopes of getting Trump in for a second term. But, you know, one of the interesting things that has come out in the hearing was the degree of pushback Eastman received even from... uh, well, fairly centrist or conservative figures. Um, For example, uh, an aide to Pence had told Eastman that even with the current makeup of the Supreme Court, if they had pursued Eastman's plans, they would have lost 9-0. So, you know, that gives some, I think, suggestion of how flimsy these plans were. Um, But also, you know, as things go forward, obviously it is an ominous sign 
for for the future that those plans were present and being worked on and were only resisted because uh, a few people stood up against them. Yes, and central to it was the Department of Justice. Mm. And they were the, the people that Trump focused in on. They were the key. And the Attorney General of the time, William Barr, Bill Barr, he was someone who had obliged Trump mm. to some degree, to some considerable degree, during the active presidency. But when he saw what was being asked of the Department of Justice and of him, at a certain point he said, enough is enough. And he gave evidence, and it was powerful evidence this week and last week, in which he called what Trump was claiming as bullshit. That's right. He That's did. a quote. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and a, a quote, he said that on a number of occasions. Bill Barr had been a sort of, hate figure for liberals. I mean, he's a very conservative person in his ideological outlook and, in fact, had incurred the wrath of liberals because at the time that the Mueller report into allegations of Russian collusion came out, Bill Barr was seen as pivotal in pushing back against the Mueller report and in uh, dulling its impact. Now he's in a very different role, pushing back on these claims of election fraud, being absolutely um, dismissive of them as bullshit, as you say. And, you know, interestingly, and I think you, you may have mentioned this in your introduction, Ivanka Trump, there's a yes. video clip of her showing at the very first of these public hearings in which she acknowledged that she accepted Barr's assessment that there had been no uh, large-scale fraud in the election and that she took his took him at his word in that respect. That was a very powerful piece of testimony because of who it was coming from, um, pushing back against the fictions propagated by her father. Yes. Now, one of the important, perhaps even vital facts of recent times has been the degree to which Trump's fiction about a stolen election has been accepted mm. as the truth by Republican voters. It is extraordinary, and you might give us the figures because they are extraordinary. This is the figure. How many registered Republicans believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States? Guessing off the top of my head from the last conversation we had on this, about 71% of Republicans do think that the election was stolen. Yes, it is in that ballpark. Most polls show that figure among Republican voters as between 70 and 80%. So you were quite right in your uh, assessment. There has incidentally been another development in that respect just within the past week, which I can't imagine has got much publicity in Ireland, which was that a convention of the Texas Republican Party approved a measure at its convention um, declaring that President Joe Biden, and this is a quote, was not legitimately elected, um, yes. the Republican Party, in obviously one of the biggest states in the union, asserting that, uh, something which is not true, obviously. So that shows, I think, the extent to which that lie has percolated through American political life, particularly on the right. It goes to a, a point that we have also mentioned before, Eamon, about how there's a sort of um, 
conservative media and political ecosystem that is kind of self-contained in ways and which uh, facts, hostile facts in particular, simply don't penetrate. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why you see such high numbers of Republicans continuing to insist that the election was in some fashion stolen. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, the televised hearings have allowed us to see some of the testimony given in private by Bill Barr, for example, mm-hmm. former Attorney General, but it has also offered us live testimony from people who were involved in this drama. And one of the most memorable moments in this whole affair lasted an hour and 13 minutes. And the the subject of it was the Secretary of State for Georgia, Brad Raffensperger. He received a call from then President Trump in late December. And Trump wanted him to find 11,700 votes. And the call was recorded and televised. Raffensperger, a Republican, had voted for Donald Trump, but he steadfastly refused to oblige the president. This was riveting at the time. It was desperately, desperately close. Well, it was a law-breaking, I suppose, but... Raffensperger stood his ground, and Rusty Bowers, a man called Rusty Bowers, who was the Speaker in the House 
in Arizona is another figure. These people appeared with Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling, who was his right-hand man. They were very interesting about the pressures they felt and their determination to follow the Constitution. Yes, they were, and I think that by any objective measure, they were very impressive. The phone call to Brad Raffensperger that emerged, you know, uh, a while after it was made, was really shocking, even by the standards of the Trump presidency. This request or demand to find, and that was the words Trump used, to find the exact number of votes to overturn Biden's victory in the state of Georgia is sort of um, blustery, kind of gang boss kind of kind of yes. behavior. I mean, that was the overall demeanor or the overall approach. It's actually, in a way, of a piece of the thing that you quoted earlier on in this podcast, Eamon, about the request that the Department of Justice should just say the election was corrupt and leave the rest, as yes. Trump put it, to me and the Republican congressman. Man, I, I mean, these are... Uh, sort of a, a, a brutal and authoritarian way of trying to conduct yourself and trying to conduct the aftermath of an American election. We should note, Eamon, that although it's unclear what's going to happen um, at the federal level, uh, sorry, at the from Washington in the Department of Justice. There is an investigation in Georgia, a criminal investigation into Trump's effort to try to overturn the result in that state. Separate from the testimony we're talking about, Brad Raffensperger has testified in secret to the, the grand jury in that Georgia case, where there is still obviously a chance that actual criminal charges would be pursued. Um, but as you say, it's not just Raffensperger, Rusty Bowers, the Arizona uh, State House Speaker, a very personally conservative person, again, was yes. uh, making the point about all sorts of uh, kind of uh, cockamamie schemes to try to overturn the election result in his state, which he also, to his credit, uh, pushed back against. And there was a development yesterday where a man called Jeffrey Clark who was working in the Department of Justice in its environmental department, but a House Republican representative had discovered Mr. Clark, who was prepared, it seems, to replace Bill Barr and to replace the acting attorney generals at the time. The acting attorney general was a man called Jeffrey Rosen. Mm. And his acting deputy was a man called Richard Donahue. Mm. They gave very compelling testimony last night. But Clark had offered to take the job, which he was not qualified to do, and Trump was trying to give it to him. Mm. Yesterday, the FBI raided his house and took away electronic devices, documents, and all that. It appears that Clark may have breached the law and may have been involved in a conspiracy with a Republican senator and the president. Republican congressman, but yes. Sorry, uh, sorry, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, that's that's right. I mean, that, that he is clearly in some degree of legal jeopardy. Otherwise, the FBI wouldn't be raiding his house. I mean, they, they generally only do that if you're in uh, some considerable hot water. But the, the story with Jeffrey Clark is that he was clearly allied with Trump's aims. He had suggested this idea, which was that the Department of Justice would write to uh, Georgia and some of the contested states asserting that it had uh, essentially, I'm, I'm summarizing here, found evidence of uh, shady behavior in uh, voting and that therefore the, the process of confirming the election results should sort of be frozen or paused. The, that would have required the DOJ to lie. They had not, in fact, discovered yes. that level of uh, malfeasance in the elections. And the suggestion that they should write such a letter was naturally received with uh, horror, really, by uh, people like Jeff Rosen, who by that stage had replaced Bill Barr, Rosen was the acting attorney general, and Richard Donoghue, whom you mentioned. The point is that Trump, annoyed with the existing official's refusal to do his bidding, was considering replacing Rosen with Clark, as you said, and apparently was only dissuaded from that uh, manoeuvre whenever the senior leadership of the Department of Justice, including Rosen, and, and well, yes. obviously Rosen would be replaced, but Donoghue, said they would resign immediately if that happened, and Trump uncharacteristically backed off. And they also said there would be mass resignations Correct. from the Department of Justice, and that would have amounted to hundreds of people. That was the moment, perhaps, that saved the Republic. Mm. I mean, it, it, the, the fact of the matter here, I saw Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein and John Dean on television for the last two, two nights. They all think this is worse than Watergate, and I personally think it probably is as well. John Dean was counsel to Richard Nixon in the White House, and Woodward and Bernstein, of course, were the journalists who received information to show that the president had broken the law. But they think that this was worse, more blatant, and more troubling, mm. because so many mainstream players, that is elected politicians and others, were up for doing it. In other words... America's democracy would have been bust. Yes, and it would have attacked the fundamentals of American democracy in an even more corrosive way, I think, than Watergate did. I mean, yes. to, to summarize, particularly for younger listeners, in Watergate, it was assumed, if not proven, that Richard Nixon, the sitting president, was involved or complicit in a break-in at the Democratic yes. Party's headquarters in the Watergate building. Now, I mean, that's obviously a horrendous thing for any president to be complicit in. But in the case of Trump and the 2020 election on January the 6th, what you were talking about really was something that would have overturned a legitimate election and incinerated the tradition of a peaceful transfer of power. Yes. That. I mean, it's hard to know how democracy recovers from that had it been successful. And as you just pointed out, um, there was a fairly thin line between its potential success and its actual 
failure. And therein lies one of the big dangers. Yeah, the thin line was uh, has a name, Mike Pence. Mm. And of course, these people from the Department of Justice, all of whom one assumes were Republicans. That's why it was a Republican administration. Mm. And this is perhaps where this committee and these public hearings illustrate in a way that documents can't. The people involved, their obvious integrity, the pressures they were placed under, and all of them are not Democrats. All of them are Republicans. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a very good point as far as the witnesses are concerned. We were talking at the start about the idea that this committee was initially characterized as a partisan endeavor. It only has two Republicans um, alongside seven Democrats, and those two Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, are anti-Trump Republicans. Most of the Republican Party boycotted this committee's work. Now, the idea that it was that the Republicans were then going to delegitimize the committee seemed at one point plausible. It seems less plausible, in my opinion, yes. now because of how much the public hearings have leaned upon testimony from. Um, Republicans and people who are clearly, uh, whatever their party affiliation, sort of small C conservative in their personal uh, dispositions. I mean, you were watching the uh, Department of Justice related hearing on Thursday, Eamon. None of those guys are uh, exactly going to, you know, flock to the barricades with AOC or Bernie Sanders. They are, they are clearly very, uh, establishment type figures um yes. not not sort of firebrand liberals by any any stretch of the imagination so that's and, an interesting point yes and that's where the figure i referred to earlier of 71% of republicans uh, or thereabouts believing that the election was stolen mm. the election clearly wasn't stolen mm. and here are republicans staunch republicans people who voted for Donald Trump, but who, whose first obligation was to their duty. In the case of Brad Raffensperger, he was Secretary of State for Georgia. And these people are believers mm. in the Constitution and in the American system. Yes. The question, the question is now, I understand, Niall, there has been some recriminations in the light of the success of these televised hearings from Republicans in the House, particularly aimed at McCarthy, our old friend Mm. Kevin, for for not allowing people to go on the committee and leaving only two. The committee is nine strong, I think. That's correct. Seven Democrats, only two Republicans. They should have put more Republicans on the committee, they think now. Yes, that's right. And Trump himself has come to that view. So he'll be displeased with my Kevin, as he calls him again mm. now, because the the idea was to paint the to to boycott the committee and therefore paint it as illegitimate. The difficulty that has now been exposed with that is during these public hearings, there is an uninterrupted narrative from Um, the seven Democrats and the two anti-Trump Republicans who I mentioned, that has no dissenting voice in the hearing room at all. Now, had McCarthy been a bit more flexible and said, okay, I won't put 
the there were two particularly extremely staunch pro republican uh, pro trump republicans against whom pelosi objected had mccarthy said okay we'll switch it to people who are more pro trump but a bit more temperate then that would probably have been a strategically better move on the republican side yeah so we don't know until some there's some polling do we know what kind of audiences and we should also say that fox news refuses to show these hearings and is kind of offering made-up commentary or idiotic commentary on the side. Nevertheless, Fox News is the leading cable channel watched. Mm. Is there a possibility that this will cut through and American people will say, we came close there to losing our democracy? There's not an enormous sign of the polling numbers changing. Um, Fox News, for example, didn't show the first hearing, which was the big primetime one. Now, 20 million people approximately watched that, which is a big audience by anybody's standards. Um, Fox, in a somewhat unusual example of being perhaps... Uh, sensitive or receptive to criticism, has shown some of the later daytime hearings and has seen its audience fall as soon as those hearings <laughs> began, yeah. which which I, I, I mentioned to, to just illustrate the point that of how sort of symbiotic the relationship is between Fox and its, and its audience. It's yes. an audience that doesn't really want to see uh, that stuff. Um, as for it breaking through, I, there was a poll out uh, just this past weekend that suggested that the share of the American people who believe that uh, Trump should be criminally prosecuted has ticked up modestly. Now, it's at 58% in this latest poll from ABC News. It was at 52% before the hearings began. That is, uh, you know, a measurable change, but a fairly modest one. Um, I do think this is perhaps a separate issue. Um, I do think it has perhaps damaged Trump in the race for the 2024 Republican um, nomination in the sense of would Republicans think, or would some Republicans think, we really just don't want all this drama. Can we get some other conservative with less baggage attached? Um, But, you know, if your question is, is there going to be a sea change after these hearings where the American people will come to a consensus? No, I don't think there is, because I think the partisanship and polarization is much too deeply entrenched. Yes. And just a final question, Niall, about something that happened, unrelated, that happened yesterday. The Supreme Court voted against New York, the state of New York, which has a gun law test that you have to pass before you can buy a gun. It's not a very stringent test, I don't think, but maybe you'll explain exactly what the ruling was. There's one other thing I should ask you, and it's about the behavior of Clarence Thomas's wife. Clarence Thomas is a Supreme Court judge, controversially appointed a long time ago, but nevertheless, his wife was very active and is very active in the QAnon conspiracy theory, and, the, and she wrote a letter, didn't she? about this whole business we've been discussing for 25 minutes, and she really is on the side of the uh, cowboys. (laughs) 
Ginny Thomas is Clarence Thomas's wife. She has been a conservative activist for a very, very long time. Um, I the the QAnon thing, I think she would object to, but she certainly identified with the wilder or or more extreme fringes of the right, and she did write to. Uh, pivotal figures in the individual states or the contested states, urging them, in essence, to support these efforts to uh, push back against Biden's victory and to deliver the election to Trump. The Supreme Court matter about guns and New York, yeah. um, a separate matter, as you say, is that the Supreme Court has struck down a restriction that New York had or has, which required anyone who wants to carry a concealed handgun outside their own home to show proper cause in order to be licensed for that purpose. Yeah. Um, New York had said that you can't just say, well, it's generally for my own safety. You have to show a special reason why you should have that ability. The Supreme Court, by a 6-3 margin, along what we might call party lines, six conservative justices, uh, struck down that restriction, uh, arguing that it infringed upon the Second Amendment's guarantee of the right to bear arms. Very controversial decision coming on the same day as the US Senate passed uh, gun control legislation, which, although fairly modest, was also the most significant in uh, many, many years. And we must also record that this Supreme Court is very active in the right to life or mm. the Roe v. Wade. Mm. The 1973 ruling on abortion is now being revisited and this Supreme Court is going to move things in a very dramatic way from a European perspective anyway. So it is not, it's an activist Supreme Court and it's fair to just end our conversation now with the thought that's often in my mind that the greatest service Donald Trump did for certain causes was the appointment of three Supreme Court justices, mm -hmm. which is enormous power. And mm -hmm. that will possibly be his legacy, hopefully, because the legacy could get worse in the next few years. Mm. It's, it is enormous power because, of course, the Supreme Court is lifetime appointments and it decides many of the most significant and divisive issues in American life. So in that sense, um, via those three Supreme Court justices who are comparatively young by the standards of the high court, um, you know, Donald Trump will have clearly an influence on American life for several decades to come. Comforting thought. <laughs> and now, just as we're talking about the American Supreme Court, we have breaking news coming in, Niall, that a monumental decision has just been handed down. The Supreme Court has overruled Roe v. Wade, eliminating the constitutional right to abortion, which has stood for almost 50 years, 49 years, in fact, in a decision that will transform American life, reshape the nation's politics, and will lead to all but total bans on the procedure in about half the states in the United States. This is an extraordinary decision with a massive historical resonance. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, a, a monumental decision, really. The biggest intervention by the Supreme Court in American life that I can remember. I mean, we've seen big rulings before, uh, you know, in comparatively recent years about things like same-sex marriage, but this is massive. Uh, an extremely rare and perhaps unique event of the court at one point, 49 years ago, enshrining a right and then taking it away. Um, there are about 13 states that have so-called trigger laws, which means that abortion in those states will become illegal immediately or almost immediately. In fact, as I speak with you just within a very short time of the ruling Missouri, the state of Missouri has already triggered that law, apparently rendering abortion illegal there. And we'll see that cascade across the nation. You are quite right to point out that around half the states, including the 13 that I just cited, have very uh, immediate restrictions on abortion or will be likely to outlaw it. In some cases, and this is a, a bit of a historical curiosity really, in some of the, those cases there were abortion bans in some states that were rendered unconstitutional by the original Roe versus Wade 1973 decision, but the ban has never been taken off the books. Therefore, yes. now the Supreme Court has struck down Roe v. Wade, that ban would presumably uh, become germane and become uh, the, the, the uh, guiding law. Yes, and uh, the, I'm just noticing now, coming in off the wires, a statement from the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, who is congratulating the Supreme Court for a decision he believes that is in line with the rights and feelings of the American people, and there would be lots of people, lots of politicians, and, and abortion is deeply political everywhere, but in the United States, it's 1973, the original decision, it was regarded as a great liberation for women by people who weren't of a conservative persuasion, but as we were just talking about a few moments ago, the Supreme Court has ruled on guns. And on this much more emotive subject on consecutive days, which is really a striking testimony to the power of the president to appoint people to this powerful court. It is unquestionably so. I mean, guns and abortion, obviously, two of the most um, divisive issues in American life. Abortion, particularly, I mean, not to belittle the, the gun ruling, which was significant, significant in itself, but this abortion ruling, absolutely massive. And just a point about Governor Abbott's comment that you cited. Yes. Um, it is true that when people are asked, you know, whether they agree with the right to abortion or whatever, an enormous amount depends upon how you phrase that question and what options you give people to answer. Uh, and there hasn't been the movement toward the liberal side that we've seen in things like same-sex marriage, for example, which have become sort of settled issues. Abortion is still very divisive. Yes. Having said that, polling which specifically asks, should Roe v. Wade be upheld or overturned, almost always shows a significant majority in favour of upholding Roe versus Wade. That has now been uh, gone against by the Supreme Court, and we'll have to see what the political ramifications of that are, given that there was, as I say, a majority in favour of the 
compromise in some ways of, of Roe v. Wade as a decision. Yes, now a few minutes ago, we spent a lot of time talking about the hearings on the January 6th matter, the implications for Donald Trump, possible crimes that may have been committed. This ruling will take the hearings off the front page, I imagine, and the weekend news programs and newspapers will deal with this. We're both journalists. This is the story and the hearings and Donald will take second place to this, but it does not in any way give people comfort about the power conferred on American president and the way that Donald Trump used that power to appoint people to the Supreme Court. And I know, for example, and we've spoken on this podcast before, Niall, that Mitch McConnell, who was the Senate Majority Leader during the Trump presidency, despises Trump. But this packing of the courts, if you like, and he appointed people all the way down the line, conservative people, Mitch McConnell saw and regarded as powerful and very, very important and, and very profound. Yes, no question. I mean, Mitch McConnell, I think, is emblematic of a Republican tendency during the Trump years to hold your nose and vote for Trump or hold your nose and back Trump. And one of the chief reasons for that among people who are you know, genuinely conservative but who disliked Trump was the power of the judiciary and the power of the American presidency to shape that judiciary. That power, of course, extends to much lower courts than the Supreme Court. It extends throughout the federal system. But it is most um, visible and most dramatic at the Supreme Court. We should also uh, note, Eamon, that in the actual uh, judgment that has come out, uh, as I'm speaking to you today on, on Friday, does include a, uh, for liberals, extremely ominous statement by Justice Clarence Thomas, who we mentioned earlier on in this podcast, yes. where he talks about other uh, previous or subsequent rulings dealing with various privacy rights, including same-sex marriage and contraception, suggesting that those could be, uh, as he sees it, corrected in the same way as Roe v. Wade. That has caused uh, great alarm in liberal uh, circles, and that is a position that is, uh, I think could fairly be described as radical, uh, you know, by, by anyone's standards. Yes, uh, just to underline the fact that the polarization of the United States on so many issues is only hardened mm. by this decision, which will surely, and I wonder if you'd have a view on this, I know it's a bit early to be forming views on something we've just learned about. This could help Democrats. It could it if you like, galvanize their base, particularly with the midterms in mind next November, but also in terms of the presidency for reminding them how potent the presidency can be. Yes, it certainly could. And to that very point, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, came out and gave a brief news conference very soon after the ruling from the Supreme Court was announced. She made the case that Republicans in Congress are intent now on a nationwide ban on abortion. She yes. referred to that as them plotting for that end, which obviously isn't a word they would use. But the point is, Pelosi clearly sees a uh, 
electoral imperative now to try to get liberals and the democratic base, as you put it, galvanized to prevent such a nationwide ban taking place. In the absence of Roe v. Wade, there is nothing to prevent such a ban being enacted if it is passed by Congress. And, and of course, subsequently signed, as, as it might be, as early as 2024, early 2025, by a Republican president. Uh, a Democratic president wouldn't sign it but uh, and would have the power to veto it, but it becomes a live possibility once again. Yes, and the bad news, if you like, <laughs> for those who are in favour of abortion rights is that they have an ally who's just scrolling across across my screen here. Boris Johnson has announced that the American Supreme Court has made a very big mistake. <laughs> as, if, as if he didn't have enough troubles. Uh, and this is a most profound and troubling ruling, not to make light of it at all. Sure, sure. But uh, we're very grateful to you, Niall, for bringing that news to us. And we'll talk to you soon. As always, we're grateful to Niall Stanish, Associate Editor of The Hill. We're grateful to him and to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 